Oh, boy, that is a big one. Big one. 34-31? Yeah, 34-31 in overtime. One of the wilder, more entertaining football games, to be frankly, I've ever seen. Certainly inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. And in my opinion, the best home victory in the Frank Reich era. Chris Presley across the way. He was in the building yesterday. Kevin Bowen across the way as well. Um, man, Thanksgiving gonna taste good in yeah. the Reich household, in the Ballard household, the Ursay household. Mm-hmm. We we know that with Jimmy popping on the Zoom yesterday. But uh, man, what a wild game! Crazy, crazy finish overtime. Six turnovers in the game. Yep. Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers things. Julian Blackman. Doing, doing Julian Blackman things, but uh, terrific win, terrific win, man, and that was um, that was fun to watch. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, I would like you said, I was there. I was fortunate enough to be there. Um, it had a little bit of everything. I mean, good special teams plays, good offensive plays, good defensive plays. You know, you're seeing Michael Pittman Jr. finally getting his first touchdown. You're seeing good play out of Julian Blackman and the rest of the defense. The maniac being the maniac and the guy that we all expected and the Colts defense showing up like they wanted to when they mentioned in uh, in training camp how they wanted so many turnovers in ballgames. Yeah, a little bit of everything I think is a good way to put it. Um, when, and we'll, we'll hit on a lot today. Um, probably the most Twitter questions I've had after a win this season. So Wednesday's pod, since they're playing the Titans again, mm-hmm. we can hit a lot of those on Wednesday. So I try to keep some of the bigger picture stuff maybe to Wednesday. We'll, we'll still hit on a few of those today, but... Um, we'll get into things I like, things I didn't like. But b- before we jump into that, Chris, you know, we talked last week about this was such a great measuring stick game because it was a different sort of barometer. It was this passing offense juggernaut that Green Bay is, and no one on the schedule comes close to replicating right. that. No one. So, like I was saying on Wednesday, w- what you're going to face Sunday here in six days, that game means more for standings. Correct. But what you just did 24 hours ago means more to me and what I think this team can do in January because you withstood punches from the best passing offense you'll see all season. You punched back, and in the fourth quarter, the final few minutes, while there was some just abomination of game management, you ended up making more more plays than they did. And I don't. I think that gives you a jolt. I think that gives you confidence. Um I think it can do a lot for this team. Last year at this time, they were slowly wilting. Miami, Houston on Thursday night, mm-hmm. Tennessee at home. It's over. Now it's Tennessee on a short week, beating Green Bay, emergence of some rookies. Yep. Now it seems like this team is ascending, and that's what you want to be. I mean, <laughs> flat out, obviously, it goes out saying you want to be a, a, an ascending football team. At this point of the year. And I just love how the Colts finally, after the game, they embrace like this game met more. Why is Jim Irsay talking? Why is Frank Reich saying what, what he said after the game? Philip Rivers, like they know this met more. And yeah, they all count the same in the standings, but this one resonates uh, big time. And I thought it was important just to be in a pressure pack game. Feel that pressure, feel that energy. And how do you thrive in those situations? And for the most part, the Colts made the necessary play. Obviously played a a, a great second half for a second straight week, man. So um, this team has shown me that they can win in multiple ways. Uh, They didn't do that enough last season. But every unit stepped up, certainly yesterday, but every unit has played the lead role in a victory this season. And for teams to have that 
that's what's going to last in January. Think back to the Super Bowl team. Defense just getting blitzed late that season. And then they show up in January. Yep. And now you win a game 15-6 to six against Baltimore. And then you come back next week and you win a shootout at home against the Patriots. You've got to be able to beat teams and win games in multiple ways. So, yeah, resiliency, toughness, adjustments, all of it showed up, man. And, yeah, great yeah. win. Great win. And obviously a huge player for that Colts victory against the Patriots, Marlon Jackson. He was in the building yesterday. They kind of honored some of the guys from previous teams. And one of the people that I wanted to quickly touch on before we jump into what you liked, we had mentioned how Rock needed to step up. Other than the late pass interference call where it was kind of 50-50 with the hand placement, big interception. I think it's really good for his confidence moving forward. The interception was outstanding. Um, that was one of the better plays you'll see from a cornerback. Did a little bit of jam of Devontae Adams, I think it was, at the line, and then quickly got into that zone look. And, um, boy, what a great play on the ball to make that interception. I, I haven't fully watched the TV copy listening to audio yet, but it sounded like Aikman thought that <laughs> Rodgers made the right read. Like, felt like there was an opportunity yeah. to make a play in that zone. And, and Rock's closing speed is outstanding. Um, he, he, he still is a worry. To me, Chris, there's a reason Aaron Rodgers t- targeted him mm-hmm. so much throughout that game and pretty much just was like, yeah, I, yeah, Devontae Adams what was perfect until that last target of the game. But there's a reason teams are going after Rock. So right now, corner depth and, and offensive tackle depth, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But, yeah, that was life at, life as a, as a corner yesterday for Rock. It was it was a roller coaster. It's mm-hmm. been a roller coaster a bit for him this season. Um and I guess lastly, what, what I'll mention before we get into things I like, I don't know if I made this reference on Wednesday's podcast, but you know, beating teams in different ways, and I love college basketball so much, I'll reference it in a Big Ten sense. Can you win a meat grinder in Madison at the Cole Center when right. the game's in the 50s? And then can you come back five days later and play at home against Iowa and win a shootout with Iowa that won't play a lick of defense in a game in the 80s, something like that. That's all about being a diverse team through the course of a 16-game season, and we're starting to see the Colts do that. Yeah. And, again, that's what gives me – I mean, honestly, unless you just flat-out lose the Titans and Raiders, <laughs> it's going to be very difficult to miss the playoffs. Right. And now we'll, we'll talk about that more Wednesday. I mean, Sunday is monumental for division and, and all of that. But as I look at the AFC right now, I see Kansas City and Pittsburgh still on a tier. But when we talk about the second tier, I think the Colts are atop that tier. Absolutely. And I wouldn't have said that two, three weeks ago. Yeah. But I, I confidently say that right now. And a job well done to Frank Reich, Chris Ballard, and so many players that we'll talk about for uh, getting that done. All right, well, let's jump into things that you like. Obviously, the big one that stands out, the way that the Colts played in that second half. Boy, man, two weeks in a row, right? Yeah. Uh, what a third quarter. What a third quarter. You know, you you, you caught a um, – that is a pass interference penalty on Rocky scene late in the first half. I know some people didn't like that call, but unfortunately Rock has gotten a stigma that he's grabby. So officials are going to look for that, and when you're in that much open space like that, they're going to call you for it. Um, so you didn't have the momentum going into half like you did – on Thursday night against Tennessee. Remember, you got that late field goal then, 17-13. Yep. But yet, you came out in the second half, 
and that three and out, just massive. You get down three scores, and now you're out of phase. You keep within two scores, you're still in phase, and that's me talking, I think. And, and honestly, I think Frank Reich would, would agree with that. But you go down three scores, and it's probably up-tempo, full-throttle offense. Basically, you aren't running it mm-hmm. as much as you did. But yet, you were able to pound it in that third quarter. And why is that so key? Because that's Green Bay's weakness defensively. Yes. They're not a good run defense team. And I thought it was the best we've seen Jonathan Taylor look. Carried a heavy load there. 14-play drive there to start the third quarter. Uh, that was over seven minutes. Now, you ended it with a field goal, which wasn't great. But yet, your defense comes back, gets you another three and out, which is remarkable. And then a 10-play drive, which you capped um, with that touchdown there to cut it to three, got the two-point conversion. And now it's game freaking on. Yeah. Game freaking mm-hmm. on from there. Uh, you had the huge, huge strip by Cassius Marsh, who was dressing over Ben Banigou on uh, on the kick coverage unit, which is a play that I, I don't know if has gotten enough credit. But to me, that was probably the play of the game. Again, when you talk about game flow and all that. Because what we talked about on Wednesday, man, was where can you steal a possession? And Green Bay gifted you that first turnover. You know, Rodgers too yep. quick out from center. But you didn't take advantage So you still needed to find another possession somewhere. You know, we saw Tennessee do it yesterday. Beautiful fake punt with with, with the backup Woodside in that game there. So that's that's where I'm getting at of where can you just get that extra one. You aren't going to be able to run it for 60 minutes like you did against Kansas City last year. you got to find that extra possession. Cassius Marsh on the strip. And, man, our guy, Rigoberto, continues to be a magician. You know, the um, I don't, I don't know what the technical term, but just the higher pooch-ish yeah. kickoffs, forcing Green Bay to return it. Right. And they won field position, and then a beautiful punt to execute there late in the game when your offense looked like, you know, St. Elizabeth Seton. I don't even know if they have a football team, but <laughs> uh, the, the third-grade team trying to close out that football game there. So, yeah, man, second half of football. You know, we talk about big halves all the time. Thursday night against Tennessee was the biggest half of the season mm-hmm. up to that point. And um, take punches and punch back. You know, you were one. I'm a huge believer. Green Bay scores in that first drive. The game's over. The game is over. You go down three scores, especially Tough. three touchdowns. Yeah. If Green Bay would have scored there and uh, pushed that lead to 21, man. So complimentary football in the second half. And, uh, I thought what was huge was the time of possession discrepancy wasn't as massive as I thought maybe it was still notable, but you ran 84 offensive plays. Right. That was big as well, and just Rodgers on the sideline, that's the recipe to try and beat that football team. Absolutely. Next thing we want to mention, the rookies. I mean, you look at what Pittman Jr. was able to do, Julian Blackman, like I mentioned early in the intro. Blankenship with the game-winning field goal. Damian Harris going in motion, forcing that defense to kind of look around and and actually, you know, give him some attention. We're getting some great play out of some young guys, and that's one of those games, you know, like when you're a, a freshman or sophomore and they're like, oh, this is, you know, he's playing like this this level of, right. or this year, even though he's only this year. Mm-hmm. I think that's like kind of your measuring stick or, or your barometer with those rookies. I'm not saying they're second-year players yet, but you're seeing a lot of good play come from them. Yeah, I, I forgot about the um, the Harris 
reverse, you know, in that first half that was executed so well. Uh, Julian Blackman looks like a 10-year pro. Right. Just flat out. You know, I, I know the other guys have had their ups and downs, but Blackman, he just flat out stud. And I guess I, I will start there, Chris. And it's something that I wrote afterwards on 107.5thefan.com. And, and I pretty much singled out the four main ones of Taylor, Pittman, Blackman, and then Hot Rod hitting the game winner. But the play that Blackman makes in overtime, it's um, it, it's one of the better defensive individual plays I've seen considering the moment. Yeah. This is a free safety that is getting dirty, getting up to the line of scrimmage, anticipates the screen. Like, there's so many levels to that play. First off, the recognition of that's been a go-to play, a lot for the Packers in that game. Equinemia St. Brown, great player at Notre Dame. Ran that play earlier in the game. And, you know, his recognition by Blackman is the first thing. His ability to blow up that double team, is that is incredible. Like, if he just blows up that double team, it makes a tackle for loss there. It's third and three. And it is an outstanding play on the perimeter. Yep. Because you don't – and maybe the, the, the Malik Hooker role usage slash – you know, to be frank, Malik Hooker's lack of playmaking in that area of the field, maybe that skews our mind a little bit, but we are not used. And I honestly say this from an NFL sense. We're not used to many free safeties making those plays. Yeah. But that's Blackman's corner instincts coming into play there and just does a beautiful job splitting that double team and then the strip of not settling for just a tackle, just a tackle for loss. No, no, no. <laughs> I see a loose ball carrier, and I'm going to try and make a play on the ball. Yeah. It's um, screw defensive rookie of the year. The dude should be getting all pro looks, and I I don't use that lightly. You guys know that. What what, what I think about all pro talent here. He um, I, I'll, I'll take a deeper dive into defensive rookie of the year stuff here later today. But no, Chase Young, no, I, I yeah, he's got some decent numbers, but no, Julian Blackman for defensive rookie of the year, and he should be getting all pro type of consideration. You know, the play to seal it against Burrow. You know, that that kind of got him on that stage, you know, back in October. But to do that, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll speak for me. I didn't feel good about Aaron Rodgers getting the ball first in overtime. No. I mean, holy shit. I'm like, nope. oh, boy. That defense got to go back out there again. And yeah, I don't know how much of the 50-yarder to Valdez Scantling was Blackman's responsibility. Honestly, I just thought that was Aaron Rodgers being like, yep, um, I will be a first ballot gold jacket guy. And that, I mean, that's just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how can you defend that? That's just – it's absurd throw and catch there. But um, Blackman just making a play, man. Just flat out. Stud, stud, stud. And uh, I can't say enough good things about him. The more I watch tape of, uh, on him at Utah, I saw the ball instincts, and I was very, very intrigued. But I was just worried about the ACL. Yeah, right. Like, that was my biggest worry there. It's, it's like, okay, I see 75th overall, but, man. Is it a redshirt year? What about Hooker? Like, in that contract, it, it was just odd. It, but obviously, extreme, extreme credit to Chris Ballard for believing. And I, I mean, I think Chris would even be honest with you and be like, yeah, I mean, we didn't see this on November 22nd. Right. And whatnot. He's still not even a year removed from the ACL. Um, He's got some Darius Leonard in him, man. He does. Just his ability to find the ball like that. Mm-hmm. So. He was great. Pittman getting him in space. I thought that was beautiful design by Frank. Um, I mean, he's your number one 
he's your number one wideout. He needs to get number one wideout targets. Uh, Pittman was big in that first half, making plays after the catch. And I again, I, I thought that was the best we've seen from Taylor. Yeah, I thought that third quarter, man, huge. Uh, he created yards that weren't there, and we have not seen that yet from him. I thought he had some runs there in the third quarter, some of his best runs. And, and you know, to be honest, he's running back three at the start of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Hines to start the game. Yep. And it was heavy Hines early, and it was Wilkins to start a series before they went to uh, to Taylor. And he struggled in that second quarter. But, man, that third quarter, which was, again, smart by right to stick with the run, Taylor showed me more in between the tackle decisiveness and athleticism than we've seen. Some one cut, straight line, and then when he got in there, he ran through some arm tackles, and, and I just think he, he is a little bit more confident. And if you're confident and those athletic traits can then be on display – that's huge for this mm-hmm. team moving forward. And Hot Rod bouncing back from the 50-yard chunk, I guess it was. I don't know. I I can't can't recall really any NFL kicker being short from 50 yards like that, especially indoors. Um, that was weird, but just steady. I mean, that was an arrow, mm-hmm. that, that field goal in overtime, and clearly the most pressure back kick he's had in an NFL uniform, man. So I just sat back after the game and thought, these rookies. We always talk about on this podcast, how do you raise the ceiling? How do you how do you find improvement over the course of the season? Oftentimes, your first year players can give you that. Oftentimes, they hit a wall too. It, you know, it can go both ways. If what those guys gave you in that atmosphere can be the norm, mm-hmm. January success comes a lot realer. Yeah, and a mistake on my part. I rattled off four rookies that didn't even mention Taylor. That's how no, that, still that's I mean, how good right. our, our rookies were playing yesterday. I mean, long list, dude. I mean, seriously, I mean, there were multiple guys that you could have thrown in there, and I was starting to rattle it off. I, I forgot about Harris, you know, having, having the big touch early on. So, um, so key to see, and uh, big time, big time from those first-year players. All right, last thing about things that you like, Frank Reich's first 55 minutes of that ball game. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I really like the touchdown designs. How much open turf did Michael Pittman have there? I mean, right. he outran the linebacker, but – you don't see scripted yards after catch be that wide open like Pittman had. So good job against the zone looks, using him on the crossers. I love the Trey Burton touchdown. Three tight end personnel, forces Green Bay to put linebackers on the field. Preston Smith weighs 265, and he's in cover. You know, how many times have we seen an Austrian coverage or, you know, a, a Houston occasionally in coverage, and you're like, what the? F-? Right. Okay, now can you get the other team? To do that, and beautiful throw and catch by um, right. Rivers and Burton as well there. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't joke. I mean, I, I wasn't joking about it. The percent and short yardage stuff, it, it, it needs to be more the norm, man. And it's, it's how that package has evolved a little bit. Yesterday it was Rivers literally calling the play in the huddle. Play clock's at what, 20? Yeah. Gets to the line, and then Brissett trots in the field. So a Green Bay defense that is not expecting it or not thinking that or sees Rivers and just gets in the flow of the game and thinks, oh, yeah, 17, okay. Now all of a sudden they're scrambling a little bit there as well. So um, that short yards need a spark. I mean, you're 31st in the league in short yardage coming into yesterday. The only team worse. 
the Jets. Like, it, that's not good. No. And the Colts were, weren't even close um, to being higher than that, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought a uh, good job there in, in just kind of the situational stuff and short yardage, which you got to sustain drives like we talked about. And then lastly, I would say what I liked about Reich was sticking with that run in the third quarter. Now, the scoreboard helped you out, only being down two scores. Right. But still, that is Green Bay's biggest weakness, stopping the run. And you felt like, you know, slowly, methodically wear them down. You did that. They, they, they stuck with Taylor, and he gave them probably the best quarter we've seen from him. And in my opinion, the best game. I know he probably didn't help fantasy owners that much without 100 yards or a touchdown, but still, I thought it was the best we've seen uh, Taylor as well. Yeah. And I was very surprised, uh, before we jump into things you didn't like, how poorly J.K. Scott punted the football yesterday. Dude. I mean, we got great field position out of all three of those punts. Like, they were it all like 39 or 40 or something. It didn't look, I mean, when he came out of Alabama, he came in booming 60-yarder, like, just crazy. It was just really weird. And it was weird, like, he wasn't supposed to play? Like, there yeah. was some odd thing that happened Friday, Saturday. I don't I was going to look into it more if he didn't make the trip, but. Yeah, a field position. You were, you were able to control it. And, you know, I don't think the Colts offensively are, like, potent enough to me to be like, oh, yeah, your offense can carry, carry you to a Super Bowl. But when their special teams continues to show up like they have this season, that can kind of mask a little bit of, you know, maybe just that explosiveness mm-hmm. that the offense has. So it's a huge phase, man, huge phase in the game. And the Colts saw that. I mean – the field goal missed by Hot Rod, that was huge. You know, it's it's a pseudo turnover giving Rodgers a, a semi-short field. Right. And, I mean, what, Green Bay took the Alley Cox fumble, the Hot Rod missed field goal, and the Rivers pick three touchdowns in the first half. They took advantage of, the, of those mistakes. Right. Colts did not take advantage of the Green Bay mistakes. Now, you created more of those mistakes and eventually were able to uh, take advantage. All right, well, let's jump into things you didn't like. Obviously, we talked about the second-half effort, but the reason the second-half effort was so important and you know was part of what you, what you liked is because the first-half effort wasn't necessarily there. Yeah, I didn't love what I saw in the first half. Um, you know, defensively, I thought really poor job setting the edge. The bootleg action continues to be an issue for this defense. And, and, you know, some of it's like, okay, you know, you always hear this 11 run to the ball, 11 run to the ball. Are you crashing too much? Is it too much of that where teams know now it's such a high-effort defense, can you use that against them? Mm-hmm. Can you get some misdirection in there and do some things laterally? And Rodgers is really freaking good at it. That obviously helps as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought Green Bay, especially there in the second quarter, even though they did have a short field, I guess the interception was a super short field. They still moved it pretty easily as well. So I just didn't love what we saw in the first half. Offensively, I thought it was more self-inflicted stuff than than anything. Um, you know, you had some penalties that just hurt you, and then you had the fumble by Allie Cox, and you had the, um, the interception as well on a ball batted down. So... It's just these first-half trends of, like, you know, you're kind of playing with fire of, like, man, you really need the force fumble on the kick return to come back. You really need Tennessee to have a block punt yeah. to really feel good about the game. Like, yes, you are making those plays, but still that's a bit playing with fire of you like this team isn't built to routinely come back. They've done it, but I don't think it's a trend that you want to keep on going down. Yeah. 
And so um, that was just a little bit disappointing to see. Ten-day break at home, such a big game. I expected them to come out of the gate a little bit better. I would agree with that. And then the game management, that was another one of your your dislikes. Yeah, an absolute abomination, Chris. I, I don't say it lightly. It's one of the worst game management finishing of games I've ever seen. And I thought Frank Reich was about as candid as you will hear him after the game talking about it's elementary 101. And, you know, we've pretty much failed in that area. I've gone back and watched the holding penalties. I just talked to Big Joe, you know, former <laughs> NFL offensive lineman. I, I didn't see one that was that big of an issue. I mean, literally. And, uh, yeah, would you like to see maybe a little bit more consistency with that over 60 minutes? Sure. Is some of that you're playing 84 snaps and your offensive line guys are kind of straining a little bit late in the game? Yeah, but I think it gets back to the root of this hasn't been a great run blocking team this season. And when you get put in that situation, refs are going to look for it. And honestly, so many of the holdings were like right there in the thick of the play. You know, these weren't like backside holding penalties. Right. A lot of them were like right the hole or right there. Um, you just and Frank, I thought pointed this out really well. You can't do that in that situation because it stops the clock. Because if you notice, Matt Lafleur did the Mike Vrabel twelve men on the field thing. Mm-hmm. That was a design thing to do to stop the clock now you're helping them with with all these penalties like you will take a three-yard loss then a holding penalty to try and get you survive another down right but no 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 like that stops the clock there um so i really didn't have that big of an issue with those penalties um i mean hell when la raven clark's holding on the first penalty first play of the game i'm like okay here we go you know (laughs) this is going to be the norm and i mean quentin nelson Three mm-hmm. holding penalties in the day? Yeah. Like, he, Quentin Nelson should not be an all-pro this season. I mean, I, I people will probably unsubscribe to the podcast for saying that. <laughs> but he has not played at that level this this year. Um, I thought what was also maddening about the close of the game, non-penalty division, were the pass plays called leading to incompletions. Right. I'm okay with calling pass plays there. I, I'm fine with it. 17-year vet, I get it. They have got to be the most high-percentage pass plays you have in your playbook. Screen, dump, something in the flat, have a safety valve to where that clock is not going to be stopped. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, if that Sanchez punt topples into the end zone and now Aaron Rodgers is only going 80, we're probably talking about a Colts loss here. Right. I mean, to be frank. And so it's just that was <laughs> that was um I was like twenty twenty is is here alive I was like what they don't have alcohol in the press box <laughs> I don't know why this is this is not good for anyone's sanity to be watching it unfold like that and I mean if Zadarius Smith is a split second to Rivers yep. <laughs> earlier than that you know how do you let a pass play happen to where your tackles are exposed that much. In that situation, like there should not be that long of a drop happening on, on on a play, and with less than three minutes to go, when you're calling a pass. So, man, that was uh, and that squarely it starts with Reich. I mean, yes, the player is executing the holding penalties. You know, they deserve proper blame, mm-hmm. but still, from a coaching standpoint, there there were multiple areas that were an issue. And I know this team hasn't played in a lot of fourth quarters. You know, pressure pack, final five minutes sort of things, but um. Boy, it got so bad, you got out of field goal range. 
Right. You know, got to the point. And I was good with them going for the fourth down. The Hines, like, my mind was triggered back to 2009, Belichick. I don't want to give the ball back to Manning. I'm going to go for it on fourth and two. Yeah. Because I respect the quarterback on the other sideline that much. To me, that was more of a Reich respects Rodgers that much. I don't want to give him the ball back unless I really have to. And mm-hmm. whatever, he finally got into a down and distance that he had to. And a great execution, Burton and Hines on the rub route there. So, yeah, that was um, that was about as horrific of clock management <laughs> as you will see from an NFL team. There were so many times late where I'm like, okay, I think we won. All right, okay, that first down definitely should do it. Oh, oh no. Oh, 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 no, we're giving the ball back to Aaron Rodgers. They're going to go down a score here, so props to the defense for not allowing that to happen. But it was, you talk about roller coaster and heart attack, my goodness. And I will say, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the defense on that final drive there because you give up the bomb on the third and ten, and then Adams gets going again. And then I thought Rodgers wasn't great with the clock management, but you got to that third and goal situation, and you got Kenny Moore on Devontae Adams yep. in the slot. That was almost something to where, boy, if I'm Green Bay in that situation, I'm going three by one, and I'm leaving Adams, even if I guess they would have doubled Rock over the top, but still, I'd almost rather trust. You know, Kenny did a great job there, I think, of knowing situation, no timeouts, this mm-hmm. ball's coming to the end zone. If I can get in between Rodgers and Adams and just make sure they've got to make some heroic play in the corner of the end zone, because, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a – that was a nervy moment. That reached the reached the eight yard line. Gosh, man, it got even yeah. closer than I thought. Yeah, and it wild was, man. And you look for, uh, and especially the way the game had been going, I'm looking for a flag. Like, right? Where's this fan? Right, of, like, right, where's right. this pass oh, interference yeah. at? So they can get another opportunity. But good job by Kenny, like you said. Yeah, big time there. Okay, those was things you liked and did not like. Shall we jump into Twitter questions? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Let's do it. Again, one of our favorite favorite segments on each show as we listen to both YouTube and the Twitter questions, so hit us up on both of those. First one's coming from Tanner. Hey, Kev, great effing win. Let's go. <laughs> Can't be mad, but my, my question for the pod is, how is Pittman not going to be involved in the second half? Did the defense just focus on him? And if the D focused on him, then where was T.Y.? You gotta you gotta love a good cussing Twitter question to uh, to to start things off. Yeah, no targets for Pittman in the second half. Uh, that's something that certainly needs to change. I I think the next step for him, Chris, is just a little bit more involved in the red zone. You know, use that body type, the frame. We've talked about it, the fifty fifty, the jump ball nature. You'll yep. use that inside the twenty there, um, and just kind of him purely winning one on one. I still think that is a next step for him. Just consistently winning against press, against man. Because the Packers do have – I mean, Jair Alexander is a really good corner. Yes. And, and Kevin King is a pretty good corner as well. Um, yeah, I mean, outside of – Hilton did have – I mean, that was the second half. Hilton had that big red zone, great ball by Rivers, corner route, kind of the patented Hilton one, dropped it in a bucket there. So, um, yeah, the passing off – I mean, you, you primarily ran it in the in the second half. So, I won't fault things too, too much there. I thought Rivers was pretty pretty good, you know. I know he had the pick, and, and yeah, you know, batted balls. There's always the debate of who is it on. I, I tend to think it's more on the quarterback. But um, still, I thought Rivers was – he's been better than than what you had last year, flat out. And, and, and that is an improvement of quarterback, especially in these games, these atmospheres, these moments. And um, he's given you a chance. Yeah. And to that point, when I was at the game, I looked at my buddy and I said – 
I'm not comparing Rivers to Luck. I'm not going there. But there were a lot of times where Andrew Luck wouldn't have taken necessarily a sack or thrown the ball to a position where only our receiver could get it. Now, he was very good at that, but there are some times where Phillip Rivers, even though it's like, dang it, come on, man, it's better than it's better than the turnover. And so I, I'm fine with balls where you're, only your receivers can catch it that might go way deep out of the back of the end zone and sacks that you can come back from. Rivers believes in the check down more than Andrew did. Early, early in his in his career, part of that's the offense that that Andrew was in as well. But um, yeah. All right, Kevin. Jason wants to know, based on what you saw on the field, scoring plays disregarded. Do you think the Colts played well enough to beat the Packers? Um, yeah. I mean, certainly in the second half, you know, you you won the turnover battle four to two. That's massive, mm-hmm. massive. Uh, it's a huge reason why you won the game. I mean, both teams had some awful mistakes. Let's be honest here. I mean. You know, I, again, Rodgers getting out of that snap early with Corey Lindsley. I mean, that's something you don't, definitely don't expect. And, uh, you know, a couple fumbles. The Colts obviously had the fumble with Allie Cox. You know, the 50-yard field goal, you'd call that kind of a borderline turnover as well. So um, the first half was, was bad. And it was, I mean, this was a very competitive game. You know, coin flip type game, you know, th- throughout certainly a large chunk of the second half. And, you know, halftime, you would have signed up for a game going into overtime. <laughs> uh, certainly down 14 points. But yep. you, you aren't going to play a team, Chris, that will challenge you through the air like that the rest of the season. You know, good thing Aaron Rodgers is in the NFC. I mean, you don't have to sweat out that playoff matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's something to where, you know, Kansas City, yes. But Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh, I, I still like their wideout talent enough that that would worry me. But. It just seems like the Colts are better equipped to face some of the AFC teams than they are the NFC teams, mm-hmm. which I know they went undefeated against the NFC North, but um, there are some teams in the NFC South and NFC West that I don't think are great, great matchups for them. But, you know, cr- credit credit the Colts. Adjustments. We talk about all the time. Halftime adjustments. Making plays in the fourth quarter. Yep. And those are strides this team is making that they did not make last season. And um, so, yeah, it, it was a very close game. Really close. Could have gone either way, and that's the beauty of it, but the Colts made critical plays, man. This one's from Scotty. Can you put that in the top 10 or 20 Colts victories that you've witnessed? Oh, easily. Yeah, top 10. Oh, yeah. Top 10 or 20. Yeah, I've covered every Colts game for the past decade and certainly watched a lot of Colts games growing up. I mean, as far as the games I've covered, boy, you're talking regular season home games, Chris? I always put Denver up there, Peyton's first game back. Mm-hmm. I put up 2012 Green Bay game, just all the sentimental value with that, not to mention Reggie Wayne with one of the greatest individual performances I've, I've ever seen. I put Denver in 2015, Peyton's second time coming back when they were undefeated. Uh, I always liked the Seattle game in 2013, Russell Wilson against Luck. Yep. Uh, Colts had a block field goal, Delano Howell in that game. That was a uh, great year. T.Y. torched Richard Sherman in that game. So, yeah, I'd uh, again when 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 Jim Mercy's hopping on the Zoom after the game and calls it one of the greatest home wins in franchise history, I believe him. You yeah. know it, it, and I agree with that. Yeah. All right, this one comes from our buddy over in Ireland, Darig. If the playoffs start tomorrow, who... let me say one more thing on that, Chris. Sorry, okay, sorry to interrupt there You're good. on Scotty. It wasn't so much that this was an upset, like. I think the entire ESPN crew picked the Colts. Like the Colts were favored. Like it, it, it wasn't the upset nature. It is the 
unique challenge that Rodgers possesses and just the wild entertaining back and forth yep. over time, force fumble, all of that. I think that's what plays into it for me. Cool. Uh, back to the question, if the playoffs start tomorrow, who would be the Colts' starting running back? Yeah, um, <laughs> boy, good luck predicting that. Uh, don't do daily fantasy with the Colts' running back. Um Flavor of the month, man. It's just I think it's it's a double digit touch Heinz Taylor sort of game. You know, in between the tackle run focus, it's going to be more Taylor. You know, we saw Heinz as a running back. You know, certainly not have the same production that he had last Thursday, but he still is a weapon in the pass game, and that's primarily where his use needs to be. So, by committee, one A, one B. You know, a die in Rhodes in the Super Bowl, whatever you want to call it. Yep. It's um, it, it, it's what the Colts got. Yeah, they remind me, to the fantasy point, they kind of remind me of the Patriots of old. I mean, yes. you just never know which running back's going to be the guy. It's a great point, yeah. I mean, even the Patriots now, it's like uh, Damian Harris, James White, uh, Rex Burkhead. And Sonny Michelle. We'll see what happens when Sonny Michelle gets back. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, maddening, maddening to predict for fantasy owners. All right, Kevin, this one's from Conroy. On the, f- the last drive of the fourth quarter, you know, the one with all the flags, <laughs> At what point oh, yeah. do you just kneel the damn ball and run the clock out? Seemed like every run of two or more yards was called back due to a quote unquote hold. Dude, Conroy, just preach. It was um I heard Rick Venturi was blowing a gasket. I didn't <laughs> I, I wasn't able to listen to it, but I would love to hear that. It was um Yeah, you know, when I'm in the moment, the emotional aspect of covering a game, I'm pretty numb to it. But even then, I'm laughing, crying. Uh, everything like it's like what the f- is yeah. going on like I'm like and so I'm just picturing uh, that being Notre Dame and then putting myself in our listener's shoes and just oh being boy like, oh my gosh yeah pray for Maddie and Rosie um Conroy the throws were just as maddening I mean the the throwing decisions were just as like because you have more control over that you know that's a less judgment call it's like Wait, you're choosing to throw the ball down the field like that and not getting these high percent? <laughs> I hope after Wednesday we never have to speak of it again. Right. Ross wants to know if this was the game of the year for the Colts. Yeah, to me. And, and Ross, and I don't, is this Ross, my brother-in-law, who was just in Vegas? Ross is supposed to get married, my brother-in-law, this past weekend. So, him and his wife, Vegas. Love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it, man. I. I th- it sounds like he had a productive uh Weekend at, uh, gambling as well. So uh, shout out to Ross McKenzie Weiser, his f- lovely fiance. All right. Um, yeah, game of the year. Like we said, Titans game means more for standings. But um, this is January. This is the measuring stick. Mm-hmm. Huge. But boy, Sunday's big. <laughs> I know. Boy, this Sunday. And the Titans are beat up. They lost Jayon Brown, one of their best defensive players on Sunday. Clowney's on IR. Yep. Since last Thursday. Um, who else? Kenny Vaccaro, concussion. The left tackle, Sombrero, however you say his name, who's in for Lawan, got hurt. Like, I mean, the Colts, uh, I guess we'll watch about Rivers. I don't know. Turf toe is kind of weird, uh, assuming it's turf toe. But um, Anthony Walker, maybe? Like, I don't remember really any injuries for the Colts in that game. No. And, and the turf toe was the one that kind of shocked me because late in that game, Rivers went down. Dude, I thought he cracked his ribs. Yeah, I. it was like, oh, no. Are you, are, are you talking about the hit? Yes. Yeah. Uh, people in the press box are like, oh, no, he, he suffered the injury on the block. I'm like, really? I thought, 
I don't know. Maybe he suffered the toe injury on the block, but he got smoked. Yes, he did. Three or four plays before that. And he was like, and that's the benefit of being at the game. I don't know how much they showed this on Fox, but like he is bending down, you know, kind of in like a catcher stance, like a, like a baseball catcher stance in between plays. Like play would end. He gets in the catcher stance for 15 seconds. Then he gets up and slowly moves the hook. He did right. that like five straight plays. And he came over the sideline, and it was long timeouts when Jacoby was in the game. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm gonna be watching Phil Rivers a little bit this week. Yeah, he was on all fours, crawling towards where the play was, which was way downfield. I'm like, I, I don't know if he's gonna get there in time for this next play. You, exactly, and that that wasn't a reference to him crawling like he's trying to scramble. I mean, that was literally a reference to <laughs> him him in pain. And right. I shouldn't joke. Rivers made a couple plays with his legs that were, yeah, another 2020 moment. The- this one is from Big Bama. Is there any question now whether to pay Braden Smith after the revolving door yesterday at right tackle? There were some that questioned paying him or not. I just think he's underrated on how important he is to this team and the future of this team going forward with the offensive line not being as deep. Big Bama, I think he might be the most underrated player on this football team. And I think Grover Stewart's starting to get the deserved attention. We don't give enough to Braden Smith. Chris, I don't know what the hell that was, the revolving door, right? To, it's like... Yeah, I tweeted it out. I'm like, are they playing the less cold hand? I don't think you're playing the hot hand at right tackle. I think you're playing the – and someone responded like, oh, no, I think they're playing the lukewarm hand. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. Raven Clark starts, benched two series in the game. Chaz Green goes in. Then Chaz Green gets, like, benched. And then Raven Clark goes back in the game. And then Chaz Green plays the whole second half. I'm like um, – It's, uh, you know, Ballard, such a great offseason. Such a great offseason, but that is by far his biggest biggest mistake, is not addressing offensive tackle depth in a more serious manner. Mm-hmm. Think about it, man. You have had incredible offensive line health again this season. Look at Dallas. Dallas yeah. is on, what, their eighth different combination? Zach Martin, an all-pro guard, is going to play tackle. Like, you don't see NFL teams do that. But they're in such a dire situation. Look at Green Bay during the game yesterday. Winsley, their center, leaves the game. Mm-hmm. Boxiari had missed. You know, several games earlier in the year. The Colts have had Costanzo out for one game and Braden Smith out for one game. Like, it's been beautiful O-line health. And in those two games, against a Green Bay front that is not Miles Garrett and company, right? you just you see why if you can sneak in a Thanksgiving prayer on Thursday to pray for the O-line health for the Colts, try and get it in, folks, because it's huge, man. It's... um. Yeah, and, and, and to get back to the question, Bama, one of my colleagues and, and who I really, really respect, him him and I and a couple others were talking at practice the other day, and he was making the argument that maybe you don't pay Braden Smith. Like, it's one of those positions that uh, you got too much money invested other places, you can't pay Braden Smith. And I'm just like, I could not disagree more with that statement. I mean, I'm sorry. Tackle means – right tackle means a whole lot. Yeah. whole lot. So, you pay him. And – I know it's going to get weird, but if Chris Ballard is a man of his word, which I think he is, I think Braden Smith could be getting an extension. Like, he's shown you everything that you could have hoped for there. So, pay him. Yep. All right, Cameron wants to know, when Eberflus decided to turn halftime adjustments from a weakness to a strength, says we never used to be good at adjusting in the game, and now at half we've been dominated in the second half, especially with defense. P.S., how insane is it that Leonard lines up 1v1 on Devontae Adams? 
Yeah, I remember Leonard having a huge pass deflection against DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> Maybe his rookie season. It was just yep. like, whoa, uh, this kid has arrived. Um, you, you hear her say after the game, talk about the um, the talk he had with Frank Reich and company after week one in Jacksonville. I did not. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I think we said on the podcast that the owner was extremely pissed. Extremely pissed by that week one performance for multiple reasons. Minshew 19-20. You're losing another season opener for, what, a seventh straight season. You're losing a divisional game as well to a team that they haven't won since, right? No. Um, boy, I'd love to be a little fly on the wall in here, fired up. I was disappointed we had a press box video from him, or a um, sweet video from him. I want the weightlifting videos. <laughs> you know, can we get them back? Like, think about that. That weightlifting video was after week one. Yep. I mean, like, yeah. Uh, but seriously, Eberflus, job well done. We we've called him out here, and I think deservedly called him out at times. But this defense, while I don't like what the first half has looked like the last couple of weeks, the second half adjustments are key. It's a 60-minute ball game. And if the defense, if they don't give you those three and outs, you're a 6-4 and four football team right now. Yeah. Defense started it. Complimentary football came from there. What a ride, baby. Hope everyone's heart is healthy. We saw from Green Bay at least is a similar to when we played Cleveland with the bootlegs, play actions, etc., and it just seems to crave this defense. Thoughts? That's from Bailey. <laughs> man, what a game. What a heart. I mean, oh boy, I, I don't know about you, man. A lot of Packers fans in there, though, yesterday. A lot of Packers fans. Yeah. Secondary market, I think, uh, taking full advantage of Green mm-hmm. Bay not having any home games. And this one being within driving distance. Uh, don't you love NFL fandom, though? Like, so this is where what I don't get on a weekly basis with Notre Dame. Sure. You know, there are a lot of great games, and I'm expecting North Carolina to be an absolute battle for the Irish on Friday, down to offensive linemen, by the way. But you've got blowouts in college football. you got a good amount of blowouts. Uh, Alabama to Kentucky was what? 63-3. to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, jeez. Um, but, like, the NFL, man, you get this, like, every week. I mean, think about if you sat on your butt yesterday from 1 o'clock – to midnight in the indie market and watched the games. You got Baltimore, Tennessee mm-hmm. in a just a unbelievable effort by AJ Brown to get in the end zone. Yeah. Then you're getting Colts Packers and then you're getting Chiefs Raiders. I love this. How does anyone not love the NFL? Like I am it is just pure entertainment. On a week-in, week-out basis. And I know I'm incredibly biased and whatnot. But, dude, the the parody in this league, and 16-game season helps it out and all that, but, gosh, Bailey, rest the heart. I don't know what people do to – I don't know. <laughs> drink I, – I, I tweeted it. Yeah, go, go get another drink. Make it stiffer. You know, Sunday – hey, it's a short week for everybody, folks. I Boy, just be glad the Colts don't play on Thursday this week. I know. I want, the heart needs a week-long rest because Sunday – it's going to be fun. Huge. Huge. Insert Donald Trump. Huge voice. <laughs> From Romulus, does Blackman have a shot at defensive rookie of the year or even defensive player of the year, or is being on the Colts going to hurt his chances? Boy, defensive player of the year. Man, I mean, I, I've already spoken about defensive rookie of the year. Help me out here, Chris. I mean, you got to think Aaron Donald, right, for defensive player of the year. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what he'll do on Monday night. Um, you know, Garrett has been up there. I know yep. he didn't play on Sunday. 
Um, I, I, you know, defensive player of the year again. It probably won't go to that extent, but um, dude, 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 dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, being on the Colts hurts a little bit. You know, you sometimes you get into the whole Heisman national attention type yeah. thing, and like. Yesterday, well, I think, I mean, the Colts got slotted in the 425 window. Everyone's predicting them to win. You know, you're talking about Taysom Hill. You're talking about the Titans and Rabel and Harbaugh going at it. And you're talking about Mahomes and the comeback. Like, which is fine. Like, I'm good yeah. with it, folks. Like, slide under the radar. Um, you know, we'll see. Maybe Colts Steelers get flexed week 16. I, I don't I don't know how, how that would work out. But uh, Blackman, you know, if I'm making a, I don't know, five-ish person list for defensive player of the year, I, I probably am finding room for him. Yeah, because the, the the attribute that he has, like the the Garrett, the T.J. Watt, the the Aaron Donald, forgot about T.J. Watt, yeah, and even the Maniac. Like there are players that every time you look up are always around the ball. Yeah, Blackman on every level of the defense seems to just make plays. Highlight, 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 highlight. Game changers. Yeah, exactly. All right, Sergio and Ryan have similar questions and comments for this week's podcast. As a former offensive lineman, I was always told if you aren't holding, you aren't blocking. And feel that is mostly true. Do you think all the holding calls were warranted against the Colts? Also, does it feel like we just never get a good officiating crew on our side? Yeah, um, yeah, I think our listeners of the podcast know this. I probably haven't talked too much about it. I, I'm not a huge believer in um complaining about calls and i'm i'm really a believer in over the course of 60 minutes you got good calls and bad calls. i i don't think we saw a taekwon lewis face mask penalty question in our twitter question like i mean a blatant face mask here so um i'm really not a big person that just blames calls now yes do calls decide some games they certainly can obviously i don't need to remind purdue fans what happened on friday um I watch those holding penalties, and again, I talked to Jeff Saturday, talked with Joe Stasiak this morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of them as former offensive linemen, former Colt offensive linemen, they did not seem to be too fed up, really, with any of the calls. Like, Stasiak was like, every call was literally a hold. And Saturday was like, pretty much. I mean, it looked like a lot of holds to me. And I never really saw the Colts complaining either. It was kind of just like, holy shit, is this really happening? Yeah. But, um, you know, holding is such a weird thing, man. It's so judgment. I think typically NFL officials are really good. You know what honestly frustrates me the most about NFL officiating, Chris? And this is just me nitpicking. I think they do a horrific job at spotting footballs. Yes. Um, Two plays coming to mind from yesterday. Bursett on the QB sneak should have been at least three or four yards further down the field. And then on the punt that the Colts down at the six at the end of the game. That should have been at the eight or the nine. Like, and I know those don't seem like big in the grand scheme of things, but <laughs> the Green Bay got to the eight yard line at the end. Like, those are just little yep. things like that. And you know, too many times I feel like they stop them short of the chains on like a second and eight, and they're like, "Oh no, move the chains first down." I'm like, it's clearly a half yard short. Right. Like those could be huge plays. You fall start on third and a half yard and. So, you, don't see, you don't see measurements as much anymore. No, and they I'm just like, come running in and they're like, "Go, yep, right." And, and I okay, we don't need to bring the chains out every time, yeah. but it's just kind of like that's a half yard. Just you don't need to bring out the chains and and let's let's go. But uh, yeah, sir, I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just don't love wasting my time calling. If it is a truly difference game changer, huge moment, yes, we'll address it. 
but I'm not I'm not whining about calls. Rodney and Raj also have similar comments and questions. It was clearly the best running game of the year for Jonathan Taylor. He just looked different. He made a few cuts that looked like his vision had been adjusted. What is it? Is this just, is this just development, better blocking, or something else? By the way, happy Thanksgiving to you, Chris, and your families. Thank you for that, and same to all of our listeners out there. I Absolutely. know how much family means at this at this time of the year. So hopefully, if you're able to, you know, get with your loved ones or, or do it virtually um, here in 2020. Uh, and we will be back with a podcast on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll talk then about Thanksgiving. But, um, you know, Chris, I, I don't I don't think the O-line was just that. Oh, my gosh, they're blocking great today. Like, there were a couple Taylor runs where I'm like, there's nothing there. Boom. All of a sudden, there he is. Mm-hmm. Making a cut, decisive, getting in a hole. And then, like I was saying earlier, I felt like I saw, and this is going to sound confusing, so hopefully it doesn't sound as confusing as I think it's about to be in my head. We've seen Taylor's athleticism in the open field. Yes. I haven't seen it as much in between the tackles. Now, obviously, it's easier to see a player's athleticism in the open field. Yesterday, I saw more of his physical attributes in between the tackles than I had previously. He's got a little bit of burst to get to that second level in between the tackles. He can run through some arm tackles at 230 pounds. Right. I saw more of that. And honestly, I think it comes from just being decisive and being confident. And if you're one cut and go, naturally you trust your body. And then your God-given talent, which he has, takes over. So, boy, it goes back to what I said earlier, man. If Jonathan Taylor can become a bell cow for this football team and the run game starts to make strides, you know, clear some of the weekends in January. Clear, clear multiple weekends in January. Like, this team can do something. Yeah. Now, it's looking like you're going to have to go on the road. I mean, hell, probably every game, right? Besides the wild card game, like I don't think you're getting to the two seed or something like that. But um, yeah, we are. Uh, that was big for Taylor yesterday. That was big. When you're that big, once that train gets going, it's hard to stop. Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. That sounded like Chris Berman right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, this is from Travis. And he's a rumbling and a stumbling. <laughs> he says, I've been thinking about this game since it ended. Emotions still strong. I want your thoughts on how Eberflus and Reich managed to completely take Rodgers off the field in the second half. Absolutely amazed. And they did it. And absolutely amazed. And did the refs really want Aaron Rodgers to win that bad? <laughs> oh, gosh. Travis, um, this is a great point. Great point. Complimentary football. Yes. It takes every facet to stymie these quarterbacks. We talked about it last Wednesday, the Chiefs blueprint. 45 minutes, or excuse me, 45 rushing attempts, had the ball for over 15 minutes, and you hit Mahomes eight times in that game. Side note, Kamoko Terry, 10 snaps, didn't record a stat. I saw a little, you know. He had the one kind of high rush that, you know, maybe a half pressure if you really want to get nitpicky with it. Um but, yeah, I thought he'd play a little bit more, but, you yeah, know, whatever. It's early. So, uh, boy, three and outs, sustaining drives. I mean, look at that third quarter recipe, Chris. You had the ball for a 11-22. 11-22 in that third quarter. There were four drives in the third quarter. Green Bay, three plays, six yards, punt. Colts respond. 14 plays, 56 yards, field goal. Green Bay gets the ball back. Three plays, nine yards, punt. Colts get the ball back. 10 plays, 55 yards, touchdown. Yeah. 
you can't script a better quarter against Aaron Rodgers outside of settling for one field goal for a really going to nitpick. Yeah. All right, Brooks says, hey, Kev, love the pod. Question is, how well did, as Phillip Rivers has played recently with the Colts, how much does this excite you for what Reich will be able to do once he gets his hands on his future franchise quarterback? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, identifying that quarterback, finding it, that's that's difficult. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of what we, we've mentioned before. This team is built uh, much better around the quarterback than they were at this point in the Ryan Grigson era. Mm-hmm. So that's what gives you some hope. Now, that's the, <laughs> that's the tough piece. I mean, you know, you guys have heard me talk about that. But, yeah, certainly. What, what, what you have around QB right now is pretty good. Craig wants to talk some good and the bad, the good being the near great season Julian Blackman is having as he closed out three games this year for the defense, Packers, Bengals, and Bears. Is he a potential defensive rookie of the year? The bad being the constant bad calls by the officials week after week. Are there really that many holding calls? Did T.Y. not get interfered with in the end zone? Or Yeah, in the end zone. And can we start finding officials for poor calls? Yeah, Craig, we, we we've covered a lot about this. Um, the Ty play that was it. Was it Amos in coverage there? He definitely didn't turn around. I yeah. don't know. Ty didn't complain too much, but again, there's no face guard in the NFL. Like mm-hmm. that's not college. College that's an automatic penalty. But in the NFL, you can face guard. So, um, I I I can't believe I continue to waste my time talking about officiating questions. Let's 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 move on. Corey wants to know about that 50-yarder yesterday from Hot Rod. Is this, Did he short-leg it, or is 50-plus just too far for him? Um, it, it's not too far for him, Chris. I've seen him kick 55-yarders, and I think he did in college, too. I should probably look up his college stats. But, um, yeah, I, I legged, like he doesn't have a booming leg, but it's not like Harrison Bucker or, like, Prater or yeah. anything like that. But, like, he, he's capable— I did not literally think, like, look at the 50-yarder. I mean, it's beautiful-looking kick. It just, um, yeah, did he chunk it? I don't even. It was weird. It looked like, from where I was sitting, it looked like it was deflected watching the replay. It definitely wasn't. It just had a ton of rotation on it. Once it yeah. got close to the goalpost, it was just spinning a ton. Yeah, I mean, it was it was weird. but um, And that's, I guess, my only kind of looming question now moving forward. I mean, he's been so solid. In, in many ways as a kicker, but um, you're going to play more close games. Yeah. How do you handle those? All right, this one's from Chris. Great win yesterday after having eight heart attacks, but the question is, will Frank give Taylor more carries after the game against the Packers because he seems to be gaining some more confidence? Well, Chris, he had 22 carries. I mean, that's that, that's quite a lot. Um, I, I still want Hines sprinkled in, but – and, you know, Wilkins, I think, had a couple nice carries. I know he didn't play a whole lot, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I – you know, I think JT deserves, you know, right around kind of teen carries and and just kind of see see how the game flow is going and, and and see what you have there. But um, 22 carries is a great amount. Right. Stan, a big listener to the show, says, similar to Allen Robinson, do you think Kenny Galladay is on the Colts' 2021 free agent radar if he doesn't get re-signed? I know the Colts aren't quite as resource-rich in years past, but they still have a pretty penny, and like Allen Robinson, Galladay is young and drama-free. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, Stan. Um, I guess, what do you want body type? Mm-hmm. You know, do you, do you have Pittman and you're like, okay, I've got that body, maybe I don't need the Galladay part, body type. You know, Campbell, obviously, the health question. 
just <laughs> Chris is going to sound so stupid. Just give me a stud. Uh, just, just like AJ Brown is not six four and two twenty, but hell, he plays like he is. Yeah. Just find me a quality wide out, and you got to hit. You you, you just got to hit. I would think Galladay, Juju. I mean Juju, Allen Robinson. They all could. I I don't think you need like one specific body type to complement what you have right now. All right, a couple more here. Jason wants to know about Grover Stewart and getting paid. He says, is there, any, is there any concern in signing a guy who hasn't really done anything until his contract year? He thinks back to Eric Walden, who had the same type of, uh, you know, a really good year in his contract year, but then when the Colts let him walk and he didn't really do anything after that. And also, is Grover Stewart only doing so good because Buckner is demanding a lot of attention off of Stewart? Yeah, Jason, fair question, but I, I would disagree. Um, you know, think back to last year, Chris. Al Woods, a cheap free agent, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, was your starter at that position. Run defense struggles the first few games of the season. They bench Woods for Stewart. What happens? The run defense gets a lot better. Stewart is a fourth-round pick for a reason. This guy, he disengages from one-on-one block. He doesn't just clog up space. He makes tackles. You do not see the nose tackle in defense make as many stops, solo tackles, like he makes. Mm-hmm. So I get it. You know, nose tackle, linebacker, left guard, you are paying a lot. But, man, at 27 years old, dude, I mean, Eric Walden was, what, 31, 32 yeah. on that deal? Interior defensive linemen can still be in their prime, late 20s, early 30s. I give him a three- or four-year deal and don't think twice about it. You don't have any other body type on this team. And he stands for so much. He stands for a lot of what they believe in as well. Yeah. Fair question, Jason, but I, I strongly disagree with it. Noah says the Colts traditionally struggle in both playing in Jacksonville and playing in week one. His question is, what is more likely for the Colts to win at? Boy, gosh, you'd hope at week one, I guess. <laughs> you know, that'll happen first on the schedule. I don't know. Is the week one camp stuff? Is it how you prepare for the start of the season? Is it it's multiple regimes? And I still don't know how they lost to Jacksonville. A lot of people don't. I mean, Minshew's not even playing anymore. Yeah. Kenny says the Colts' offensive line has been overrated since 2018 when Gooch was the coach. He wasn't Reich's guy, and he was fired before the 2019 season. Could he be the missing part? Yeah, this is a question we get a good amount, Chris. Um, they, they've changed up some some schemes. I do think the tenacity, you know, the everyday kind of – Gooch is a hard ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, now look at Gooch's resume. I don't know if he's had a job for multiple years. Like, I think he's an acquired taste, and Frank Reich and him – don't see eye to eye personality wise, and that, that's that's me talking. Um, but yeah, there is a difference in this whole line. It's um, I don't know. Is it that everyday serious again hard ass accountability that's not being held to? Chris Strasser strikes me as a much more reserved individual than Gouge. But um, I mean, you would think the talent's there. I mean, four yeah. top forty picks, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know if it's complacency or what, but, um, yeah, I probably think it's a little bit more position coach based than than probably some of my colleagues do. Back to that Jacksonville game. Matt's going to turn that loss, which he was extremely upset about and complained about all season, into a positive. He's saying, you know what? The Colts are preventing the Jaguars from getting Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. Um, yeah, the Jets look like they're going to be. In that camp. Boy, you know whose draft stock looked a little shaky on Sunday or Saturday. Yeah, Fields. Man, that decision-making was 
and I, I'm a big Fields guy. Mm. Now, his ability to shed some guys and make some plays with his legs was pretty darn impressive there. But, um, yeah, his decision-making was a little head-scratching for sure. Mm-hmm. This one comes from the YouTube comment section. CS, who is a fan from North Carolina, feels like your podcast it. is one of the best Colts one out there. Thank you, CS. Appreciate it. He asked if he had one go-to game for this year, should he go to, or if he had one game, pardon me, to go to Lucas Oil, should he wait until next year without COVID or book a ticket around the holidays if he has free time? Boy, uh, Colt Steelers would be pretty enticing on uh, on Sunday Night Football. Uh, I have a feeling the secondary market, especially if Pittsburgh's undefeated, it'll be a lot of black and yellow in that building. Uh, I, I, I think you wait, man. I yeah. just, you know, I'm a big believer in atmosphere means a lot. And, no, I'm sorry to break Colts fans' heart, hearts, but Lucas Oil is not a very hostile environment compared to other NFL venues. But still, I love a full um, full building and everyone singing Mellencamp and whatnot. <laughs> uh, home slate next year, I think it's NFC West. Okay. So I mean, that's... that would be Rams and Seahawks. I like that. Good one's there, yeah. Uh, I believe you have the Patriots at home next year. I don't know if that, you know, gets the same juices flowing, but Belichick is Belichick. Right. So, I'd wait. I'd wait, CS. I mean, hell, I, playoff game, maybe? Playoff game, that's true. All right, an interesting one here from Jason. What do you think about an international week? All 32 teams play internationally with two games on each night. Teams that play early in the week get a bye the week before. The late teams get a bye the next week. You build an international NFL brand, and it eliminates giving up home games for some teams. Plus, it's a week of football. Even if we do one game per night, that still warrants a decent Sunday slate. Boy, I don't know if I'm totally following along here with this one. Um, so he wants all games one week to be international? Sounds like it, yep. See, I, I, I think it's better to do, if you're really trying to grow the game globally, I think it's better to do one game internationally each week. You're always, from September to December, you're always in some different international market. I, I, I've i always said this, and I'm a fan of playing one game internationally. I'm a fan of playing one home game internationally every four years. Okay. So basically how I would do it is you have eight international games in the year. So that means every team plays internationally every two years. Every team gives up a home game every fourth year to play internationally. And when I'm talking, I'm you know I'm talking Mexico and and Europe, you know the whole China stuff. Like what? You can't. I mean you can't do that. Like there's no way physically you can do that and come back and play either the previous week or the next week. Uh-huh. Just no. Um. But yeah, I I I'm all about growing the brand. And we have so many listeners I know in in Europe, so they deserve it. One of the coolest experiences I've ever ever done. Probably the coolest, honestly, was going over to Wembley for the mm-hmm. game in 2016. I mean, just see the fandom there. Have I ever told you the Bjorn Werner story? I don't believe so. All right, so Regent Street is a big street in London. Okay. Fan Fest event on Friday. Colts are there. You know, Luck. I don't even know who's on the team at that time. Mathis. Uh, yeah, who knows? Hilton. Uh, McAfee, I think, was one of them. So, you know, they're going through this throng of fans to walk up to the stage. And, I mean, this this street is packed. Like, I'm like Georgia Street Super Bowl packed. Nice. And all of a sudden, and I'm like, I'm behind the Colts players a little bit. You see the Colts players, like, go into the crowd to, like, hug some. I'm like, that doesn't look good. You know, I don't think they want to be interacting with the fans that closely. Bjorn Werner is in the crowd. <laughs> 
your first round pick from 2013. In 2016, he's a fan. Yeah. Probably not what Ryan Gregson wanted to see at that moment for many reasons. Um, but, man, were they happy. Those Colts players were happy to, say, to see Bjorn. And he was he was doing some NFL Europe corresponding and whatnot. But that was awesome, man. I I, I feel bad. Obviously, 2020 is crazy. But I, I, I selfishly like the international yeah. games. All right, last question for this episode. From Latrell, how much are the Ursa daughters involved with the big decisions, and which one is most likely to take over when Jim steps down? Yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure Carly Ursa, the oldest Ursa Gordon, um, is the oldest daughter. I think she's involved in pretty much every daily decision on some level. You know, certainly Pete Ward, the COO, runs a whole lot of that show over there, but she's involved a whole lot. Now, when you get into the, you know, the big time stuff, Jim is signing off, but yeah. the business operations aspect on a day to day basis, she's heavily involved. The middle daughter, I don't believe, is involved that much, really. Kaylee, uh, Casey, or say Foyt, married to AJ Foyt's grandson, um, and then Kaylin or say Jackson is, is her last name. Uh, she is uh, also involved a good amount, more so than Casey. But I know she's got a couple young kids, so I don't know if she's been involved. As much as well, I you know I, I have no idea what how, how I would handle it, but Kalen seems pretty pretty sharp. I, I would probably lean on that if I were Jimmy, but um, yeah, I think that's kind of how the three daughters divvied up. I mean, they all go to owners' meetings and whatnot. Yeah. So and, and I think they all have such a great great grasp of knowing they grew up here, which is huge. You know, Jim obviously didn't grow up here. Uh, they know what indie means to their family to this team, to this community, the Colts mean to this, all of that. Um, I'm pretty sure. I know Kalen went to IU. I think Casey might have as well. Like, So that that obviously helps yeah. as well. Cool. Well, that wraps up Twitter questions for this episode. Love it. Um, and Like I said, man, we got a lot to get to on Wednesday. So Wednesday's pod will be primarily that. A little bit of Titan stuff that we'll get into. What has changed in 17 days is kind of crazy to think. Yeah. They're going to play that, that short time. Okay, Julian Blackman's story up on the site tomorrow. Looked at the rookies as well. Hits and misses pieces. The Jacoby reset short yard stuff. I don't joke around. That's been a spark for this team. So that's up on the site as well. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. For those that can't listen to Wednesday's podcast, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, be safe. Enjoy time with the family and, and cherish those moments. And we'll be back Wednesday with a Titans preview pod.